So we're in our, the, the third week of our series entitled, Some Assembly Required. And, and I told you at the beginning of this, this series, like this is the first time that I've ever just done a, a marriage series, and we are now coming towards the, the, the latter part of this series. But, but if you've been around the, the last couple of weeks, this box is probably starting to look a little familiar to you. Maybe this box is starting to look a little annoying to you, but, but yet here it is again. And, and this box just represents our, our, our lives because every single one of us enters into any relationship, not, not, not just a, a marriage, but, but any relationship with, with, with a box. We, we enter into it with a, a box of, of hopes and dreams and desires. And, and, and we spend an entire life figuring out what should and should not be in this box. We, 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 we draw off of our experiences, what it is that we've seen, what it is that, that we've heard. And, and maybe you grew up with parents and you're like, man, I, I, I love my parents' relationship or I love this part of my parents' relationship. And so I want, I, I, I want my marriage one day to be like this. And it it goes in your box, or, or maybe it was a friend's parents that, that there was something about them, and, and you take it and you put it in your box, or maybe you looked at your parents' relationship and, and you saw some things that you definitely did not want to repeat, and you take them out of your box. Maybe you did the same thing with a friend's parents, but, but you spend your entire life putting in and taking out the things that you've, you, you've seen, the things that, that, that you've experienced, and, and, and kind of the way that it works is we end up with, with these hopes, dreams, and desires, and, and, and some of these you're able to, you know, have an object to kind of show it, like, like we have hopes, dreams, and desires about money, you know, how much money will we have, what, you know, what, what kind of retirement will we have one day, what kind of house will we live in one day, who's going to do the chores, and what are chores, and what chores is, you know, is somebody going to do and what chores is somebody else going to do? How are we going to schedule our lives? How are we going to schedule our time? How many kids do we want? Do we want kids? How are we going to handle conflict? You know, you, you, you have all of these, the, these things that, that, that you see and you have hopes and dreams and desires, but, but we all know that there are also things that are hopes and dreams and desires that are not tangible, that may not have an object to fit into this box. And in fact, this might be the thing that some of you have been screaming at me in your minds throughout this entire series. Like, like Andy, I don't care what kind of house I live in. I don't care what kind of car I drive. It doesn't matter to me if I'm a minivan family or if I'm an SUV family. Like, like that's not what I'm worried about. Instead, the things that I'm concerned about are my hopes, dreams, and desires are that I'm respected that I'm desired, that I'm admired, that I'm cherished, that I'm protected, that I'm defended, that I'm prioritized, that I'm pursued, that I'm attracted to, that I am trusted. And of course, we, you, 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 you should hope for these things. You should dream of these things. You should desire these things. Because as we talked about, the hopes and dreams and desires that we have are not necessarily bad things. In fact, it's, it's a lot of what's in this box that in a sense kind of makes you, you. But here's where things get tricky. 
Because it's, it's almost like there's this magical thing that happens whenever you stand on a stage like this and there's somebody like me who's standing between your bride and your groom and, and they're asking you questions like, will you take this woman, will you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? Will you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you, you know, promise to and all these things? And, and you end up saying something like, I will or, or I do. But whenever that happens, there's this thing that, that takes place. It's like the husband takes his box and he hands it to his wife and says, here you go, this is yours now. Make it happen. And the wives, they take their box and they hand it to their husband and they say, here you go, this is yours make it happen. And all of a sudden, these innocent hopes and dreams and desires that we've been coming up with our entire lives immediately begin to feel more like expectations to our spouse. It doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. It doesn't even have to be next year. But, but within the next decade, I plan that we're going to have the house of my dreams, right? It doesn't have to be today. We don't have to have all the money today, but whenever I'm ready to retire, the money's going to be in the bank so that way I can move on. I, I, you know, that, 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 that way I can retire and move to the next stage of my life. It doesn't have to be tomorrow, but we are going to have kids and we are going to have a little girl. And, if, and, 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 and in a certain amount of time, not only are we going to have this little girl, but Within 24 years and six months and three days, we are going to be grandparents from that little girl. We have hopes, we have dreams and desires. And if we're not careful, if, if we're not careful, here, here's the danger. Eventually, the husband's box and the wife's box are going to collide and all of a sudden, these, these innocent hopes, dreams, and desires are not going to align with the other. And when that happens, that's where the tension really comes in. Because whenever that happens, that's whenever some people decide to pick up their box and run as far away and as fast as they possibly can. Whenever that happens, that's whenever possibly the stronger personality in the relationship, I know we would never use this word, but that's when they begin to manipulate a little bit. They begin to control a little bit. They begin to coerce the situation just a little bit. That's whenever we decide that the best thing we can do, if we can't, if we can't determine who's right and whose hopes, dreams, and desires, you know, we really need to be focused on, then we must compromise, right? I mean, that's the word that we're told all the time. We must compromise, a little give and a little take. But the problem with that is it turns the relationship into this transactional relationship. It, it turns the relationship into a debt-debtor relationship. It turns the relationship into a scoreboard relationship. That, that basically says, well, well, if you get to do this, then I get to do that. If you get to spend this, then I get to spend that. And a transactional relationship will quickly, quickly, quickly create a space where intimacy and gratitude will struggle 
to exist. And in the first couple of weeks of this series, we, we go into much greater detail on, on what all of this looked like. But in week one of the series, we, we said that, that, our, that, that what we need to do as, as husbands and wives is, is we need to drop the expectations. And, and wives, you need to acknowledge that, that your husbands owe you nothing. And husbands, you need to acknowledge that, that your wives, they owe you Nothing, but here's where the paradox comes in, because happy couples know, and we've used this quote every week, but happy couples know that they actually owe each other everything, but they expect nothing in return. So how does that work? Well, last week we looked at some words from the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul, he, he brings in this idea of mutual submission, and and in Ephesians chapter 5, we get probably the longest teaching that the, on, on marriage in, in all the New Testament, and, and one of the most extensive, extensive teachings in, in all the New Testament. And, and the Apostle Paul kicks it off by saying this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You do not submit to your spouse when you feel like they deserve to be submitted to. Husbands, you do not only submit to your wife when you feel like your wife deserves to be submitted to. And wives, you do not only submit to your husbands when you think that your husband deserves to be submitted to. In fact, the submission that you have towards your spouse has very, very little to do with your spouse and an awful lot to do with Jesus. It's because we see Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with Golgotha just staring him square in the face. And he prays this prayer, Father, not my will, but your will be done. It's a prayer of submission. We, we see in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus says that I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And then that again, that night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples and he said, love one another just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's what we're called to. We're called to be like Jesus in all of our relationships and, and specifically in our marriage. We are to to love one another just as Jesus has loved us. And if you would sum up what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, I believe that, that he put it, not again, not in the context of marriage, but he put it so beautifully and succinctly in Philippians chapter 2, where in the context with husbands and wives, he would be telling us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, consider the other better than yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. And in your relationship with one another, in your marriage, have the same attitude. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so husbands, here's what that means. It means that your focus is not on your hopes, dreams, and desires. But husbands, instead, your focus is on your wife's hopes, dreams, and desires. And wives, your focus is not on your own hopes, dreams, and desires, but your focus is on your husband's hopes, dreams, and desires because we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but we value others above ourselves. We do not look to our own interests, but we look to the interests of others. 
So now, let me try and get into your minds here just a little bit, because I can see some of you are looking at me like you're a complete fool. I understand. Now I'm going to say you're wrong. But maybe you're sitting there and, and you're thinking, okay, so my spouse owes me nothing. Still not sure I agree with that, but whatever. But my job is to not worry about what my spouse owes me, but instead I'm supposed to submit to them, and they're supposed to submit to me, this whole idea of mutual submission. Okay, okay, that's all fine and that's all good. But what about my box? Right? Like, like what about my box? What am I supposed to do with my box? And I am so glad that you asked. As a joke. And that's as good as it gets today, people. So, you know. That. <laughs> but before we get to what you are supposed to do with your box, let's first look at three things that you're not supposed to do with your box. The first thing you're not supposed to do with your box is you are not supposed to act like this box doesn't exist. You're not supposed to act like you don't have any hopes, dreams, and desires. That's not healthy for you, and if it's not healthy for you, guess what? Then it's not healthy for the relationship that you're also a part of. So, so you're not supposed to just pretend that you don't have hopes, dreams, and desires. The, the second thing you're not supposed to do is you're not supposed to just get distracted you're not supposed to just fill your schedule with more stuff. Like, I'm going to take, off, take on an extra shift at work. I'm going to, you know, go on and pick up a new hobby. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick up a new class. I'm going to learn a new trade. Like, like, you're not supposed to just distract yourself from your unfulfilled expectations. That's not, that, that, that's not what it's meant to be either. Are we... We, we, we aren't supposed to just pack our schedule so full that we never have time to think about our unfulfilled hopes, dreams, and desires. And then the third thing is, is if our hopes, dreams, and desires are not being fulfilled with our spouse, we don't need to go find someone else to give our box to. That's a big one. If our hopes, dreams, and desires are not being fulfilled with our spouse, we don't need to go look for someone else to give our box too. Because here's the thing about your box that I just want to make sure everybody realizes. Wherever your box is, there you will be also. And here's the thing that, that I know, and you guys know this, I mean, we've, 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 we've seen this. Whenever you try to find somebody new to go give your box to, you want to know what that person's going to do? they're going to be on their best behavior. They're going to do everything they can to convince you that they will fulfill it all. But they are not any more equipped to carry your box than the person before. And I know that I know that the box is heavy, and I know that it is more than you feel like you can carry, but there is a better option. And today we're going to look at what I believe to be a better option. It's found in the writings of Peter. Peter's one of these guys who, who Jesus had three really, really close friends, and Peter was one of those three friends. And he ended up writing a couple of letters in the New Testament. 
And we know as much about Peter uh, as we know about anybody in the New Testament because you read about Peter in the Gospels. He's all throughout the Gospels. You, you, you have these couple of letters of Peter to where you can read kind of Peter's heart and different things. And, and, and you read about Peter in, in the book of Acts, especially the first several chapters of the book of Acts. You can see the way that he kind of helped in, in the starting of the early church. And, and then many scholars believe that, that even the book of Mark is actually like Peter's biography of Jesus' life, that, that, that Mark was a follower of Peter, and, and you're really getting Peter's story through, through Mark. And, and, and so we know that, that, that Peter was a passionate man. We know that he ran pretty hot. We know that he would act out of emotion at times and, and not necessarily out of reason. We know that he experienced many mountaintop moments, and we know that he experienced some of the deepest valleys, and we also know that something happened to Peter after Jesus resurrected from the dead. We know that he went from this man who, who, who one day was denying to even know Jesus to, to these little girls, and, and then like some, some weeks later, he's standing up in front of the very people who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and he's saying, it's your fault that he's gone. Something had changed in the man, and, and and, and Peter, he still got some things wrong. He grew up a devout Jew under the law of Moses, and, and he struggled at times to kind of mesh together the, the law of Moses and the law of Christ. He just couldn't understand how the law of Christ superseded everything else, but, but he worked at it, and he continued to get it, and he was called out on it and, and, and on multiple occasions. And, and, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter gives us this general relationship principle that today we're going to look at, and we're going to apply it to the context of marriage. So if you have your Bible, you go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to begin in the second half of verse 5, where it says, all of you, and do you know who is included in all of you? It's all of, all of you, okay. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of you, take off this facade that you have, that you have it all together. All of you, like, like, remove the mask. All of you, take all that off and then clothe yourselves with humility. How do you clothe yourself with humility? You, you answer this one simple question. In whatever situation you're facing, what would a humble person do? You get the answer, and then you do that. And in doing so, you will begin to clothe yourself in humility. So, so clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, here's why, God opposes the proud. He stands against the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So clothe yourself in humility. There may not be a more virtuous thing that is more looked down upon today in our culture than humility. Be loud. Sound certain, be demanding, be rude when necessary. Always talk like you know what you're talking about, whether you do or not. And then you will be able to convince others that you're right. It seems like that's kind of more of the mindset that we have. It, it completely flies in the face of what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. Whenever he said, be quick to listen, but be slow to speak. I wonder if many of us in our, in our society today, if many of us in this room today, we would listen to James' words, be quick to listen and slow to speak and say, oh, you poor, poor guy. You're never going to get anywhere with that kind of mindset. 
You're just going to be talked over all the time. Like, you got to be loud and you got to be brash and you have to sound certain. But that's not what James had to say. There are so many virtues that are spread throughout the New Testament that Jesus' followers should aspire to. And one that is mentioned as often as any is the virtue of humility because humility is an invitation to God. Humility is open hands towards God. Humility is saying, God, you are perfect and I am not. God, you are trustworthy and I am not. God, your version of truth is so much greater than my own version of truth. God, you know better than me. And and it's why Peter says that, that God, he opposes the proud. He stands against the proud, but he shows favor. He shows grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, he says. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. When you get to that place, and I know we all get to that place, whenever you get to that place where you just want to bow up a little bit, humble yourself. When you get to that place, whenever you want to elevate, uh, elevate yourself above somebody else, whenever you get to that place that you want to elevate yourself above your spouse, humble yourself. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Humble yourself under God's authority. And in that moment, he will lift you up. In that moment, he will give you everything you need to be able to respond humbly to whatever it is that you are facing. But then I want you to listen to what Peter says next. Because because the question, what do you do with your hopes, dreams, and desires, is answered here. The question, what do you do with your unmet expectations, with your your disappointments, with your pain, with your, your concerns. What, what, what do you do with all that? Peter gives us the answer here in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your cares. Cast all your cares. Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Peter says to, to like, like, Cast it like, like, like you're fishing, like, like cast it. Get it as far away from you as you possibly can. He, he's saying like, like fling it or, or throw it or, or tantrum it. Whatever you have to do, just, to just, just get it off of you. And I know whenever you hear that, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. And Peter's saying, I know that you might be uncomfortable with that, but, but go ahead and here's your permission to unload on God. Peter's telling his audience, he's telling us that it's okay to table the formal prayers, that it's, it's okay to put away the polite prayers, and it's okay to truly pray honest prayers about anything and about everything. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? Have you ever prayed the kind of prayer that, 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 that makes a lot of us uncomfortable? Have you ever prayed the kind of prayer that is a red in the face, tears running down your cheeks kind of prayer? Have you ever prayed the prayer that is huffing and puffing and yelling and screaming kind of prayer? Have you ever prayed the kind of prayer that drops you to your knees because the weight of what is on you is just too much for you to continue to stand? Can I encourage you with something today? The next time that you find yourself with your box getting too heavy, and the next time that you find yourself being weighed down and frustrated that the people in your lives are not meeting your expectations, will you go into your room? Will you close the door? 
Will you fall on your knees in the presence of a holy God? And will you lift up your hands as a sign of surrender, saying, Father, please pick me up? And will you just unload? This verse where Peter says, cast all your cares on him. These were not Peter's original words. Instead, they're words that come from Psalm chapter 55. So whenever Peter tells you to cast all your anxieties on him, this is the text that Peter had running through his mind. Psalm 55 will begin in verse 13 where, where, the, where, where King David says, but, but it is you, a man like myself, a companion of my, my, my close friend, it is you whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship with at the house of God. We used to go to church together. We used to walk about among the other worshipers and And he says, to my friend, to this companion, to this one who I once enjoyed this sweet fellowship, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. That's a special kind of feeling right there. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. For evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening. Morning and noon, I cry out in distress. Evening, morning and noon, the pain that I'm feeling because of the betrayal of this friend is just too much for me to handle. It's not just whenever he sits down for dinner that he's praying this prayer. It's not just before he closes his eyes at night that he's praying this prayer. But evening, morning and noon, he cries out in his pain, in his distress, and the Lord hears his voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though there are many who oppose me. God, who is enthroned from old, from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and he will humble them because they have no fear of God. This friend of mine, this one who I thought was my friend, he had attacks his friends and he violates his promises. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are soothing, are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. So cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken, but you, God, here you go, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into a pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. There's a little bit of anger in those words, but as for me, I trust you. And I'll be honest with you. Whenever I read a lot of the Psalms, I, I, I don't, I'm not really comfortable with a lot of the Psalms. Let me just put it that way. Psalm 23 is great. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Ah, it's just so peaceful. It's so calm. It's so beautiful. Psalm 139 is perfect. That the, that the, that the Lord's thoughts for you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Thank you, God. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it that, that, that his presence surrounds me. He goes before me and behind me. He surrounds me with his presence. Oh, my word, that's such a beautiful, beautiful problem. But there are so many of these psalms that, that I just don't know how to justify in my brain. The prayers of King David, they, 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 they just feel so disrespectful. 
But could it be that those are the kinds of prayers that Peter is saying, fling them on God, tantrum them on, on God, like, like throw them, cast them on God. Why? Because he cares for you. And if there's one thing that you can know, it's, it's that Peter understood just how much he was cared for. Because he spent three years with God and abide, Jesus coming down to earth and saying, if you have seen me, you have seen my father. And, and, and he knows that whenever he was sinking in the sea, that Jesus reached out and rescued him. He knows whenever he betrayed Jesus three times in the presence of a little girl, that he eventually had breakfast with Jesus on the beach and was reinstated into ministry with Jesus. Like, like he experienced the care and the love and the compassion of Jesus day in and day out for three whole years. Whenever Peter says, he cares for you, he's saying that because he knows and he has experienced that he cares for you. And here's the deal, church. We're going to take our box somewhere. You are going to take your hopes, your dreams, and your desires somewhere. You are going to hand it to someone because the weight of carrying it on your own is just too much to bear. So why not just take it to God? This past week, I was reading a devotional by Paul David Tripp. I know that's an incredibly awesome name. But he summarizes this so well. He said that, he said, no one can be your personal Messiah. You can't expect a spouse or anyone else to provide what only God can provide. No person can be the source of your identity. No one can be the basis of your happiness. No individual can give you reason to get up in the morning and continue. No loved one can be the carrier of your hope. No one is able to change you from the inside out. No human being can alter your past. No person can atone for your wrongdoings. No one can give your heart peace and rest. And then he asked this question. He said, could it be... Could it be that the disappointment you experience in your relationships is the product of unrealistic expectations? Could it be that, that, that you have unwittingly put people in the place of God? Could it be that you ask the person next to you to do for you what only God can do? Yes, yes, we, we should enjoy human love, but, but we should look to God for strength. And, and yes, we should commit to long-term, loving, mutually serving relationships. But we must remember that only God can save us, change us, and deliver us. Yes, we should be willing to make sacrifices for the love of others, but we should place our hopes, our dreams, and our desires in the once-for-all sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I know Peter's message was, is just about relationships and not specifically about marriage. But the words that he says, and just after he finishes saying, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Peter shares like the number one reason why I felt like we had to do this series right now. In verse 8, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Because your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Whenever you look into a lion's feeding habits, one of the things that you'll learn about a lion is this. 
A lion doesn't really want to work for their food. They want to find some, something that's weak and then prey on the weakness. They want to find something that's distracted and prey on the distraction. They want to find something that's, that, that, that's sick or, or tired and, and prey on their weakness. For any Christian couple, there is nothing that the enemy would want to do more than to devour your relationship. Last week, we looked at the, the words of the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul said that, that for Christians, that, that your marriage is, to, to, is meant to be to the outside, like this picture of the way that, that Jesus loves his bride, the church. People are supposed to be able to see the love of that, that you have for God, the, the love that God has for you in the way that husbands, you love your wives, and wives, the way you love your husbands. And so any time that the enemy can destroy a Christian marriage, he knows that that example that has been put in place for a specific purpose gets just a little bit more distorted. Which is why we are called to clothe ourselves with humility, to resist pride, to, to place our box, to place our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our questions, our problems, our pains. It's why we're called and told to to cast our cares, our anxieties, our unmet expectations on him because he cares for us. Besides, it does nobody any good at all to look to them to provide for you what only God can provide for you. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for the, the invitation, I guess would be the best word, that, that you give us to, to cast our cares, to cast our problems, to cast our anxieties and our questions and our pain and our unmet expectations and our frustrations, God, to, to throw them, to fling them on you. I thank you for that invitation and I thank you for the promise that we can do that with confidence because we know that you care for us. And so, Father, I pray for us. I pray for the marriages in this room. I pray, I pray that we will take our hopes, our dreams, and our desires and our frustrations and all of it, that we'll take it to the proper place and that we'll hand it to the one who is actually big enough to, to carry the weight. So Jesus, we thank you so very much for the hope that we have in you and for the promises that we have in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.